I am Larry Nissen, Chair of the IOMS Foundation, and would like to welcome you to this portion of the IOMS Foundation podcast, celebrating the Foundation's 25th anniversary. This episode will highlight the activities of the Foundation's Committee on Global Surgery. This group is responsible for overseeing the areas of humanitarian aid and disaster relief globally. Dr. Steve Roser is chair of this committee, our association's representative to the G4 Alliance, and will also moderate this session. I will turn it over to him now to briefly discuss the G4 Alliance, the committee's efforts, and introduce the podcast participants. Dr. Roser, thank you for being with us. Thank you very much, Larry, uh, and thank you for the opportunity to uh, have the committee come together and uh, talk uh, amongst ourselves and share some of the uh, some of the uh, the great work that the committee uh, members are doing individually and uh, and collectively. Uh, you mentioned the G4 Alliance. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, IAOMS Foundation is a member organization of the G4 Alliance. Briefly, the G4 Alliance. Uh, is a, it's an advocacy organization uh, made up of uh, over 70 member organizations worldwide. And the vision is universal access to quality surgical obstetric trauma and anesthesia care. And uh, that is a goal of 70% or 80% of the world by 2030, an ambitious goal for access to care. Um, it is an advocacy organization. It has uh, developed some uh, products, uh, standards of care, and so on. Uh, but really, what being a member of the G4 Alliance does for IAOMS Foundation is it gives us access to the global surgical space, which is is huge. Uh, so many, so many facets to it. Um, but it brings together seventy, uh, or you know, really uh, influential organizations in the global surgical space, including nursing, including midwives, including anesthesia, and so on. In, in addition, enhancing our visibility to those organizations and giving us access to shared best practices and, uh, and work of the other member organizations. So um, I look forward to uh, our continued participation uh, with that. And I know Melissa was, uh, Melissa Amundsen, which I'll introduce shortly, was the ACOMS uh, uh, representative to uh, the G4 Alliance uh, but we'll we'll bring her into our uh, network and uh, have her work uh, work for us. So we we're going to have some fun with the podcast. We have some really special uh, committee members. Not all the committees here, but uh, a number of them are. And I'd like to to uh, introduce them uh, live from Australia. Uh, doctors Barbara Woodhouse and John Arvier both are in Australia practicing in Brisbane. Uh, both have been. Uh, practicing for a uh, a number of years, but very specially, Barbara and John have started Operation Interface, which works uh, in Cambodia and uh, Africa. Uh, John works with uh, Osheal, as well as Smile uh, Cambodia, an organization, uh, a part of uh, Operation Smile. Both have done on work in the uh, global surgery sphere for a number of years. In addition to uh, to Barbara and John, uh, Shahid Aziz, another one of our committee members, uh, who's currently a professor at Rutgers, uh, also the associate dean for global health, the co-founder and president of Smile Bangladesh. Uh, that is an organization that he started, has been together since uh, 2006, 
in De- in uh, Dakar, Bangladesh. Uh, they're hosts at the East West University. They have operated on over 1,500 children with cleft lip and cleft palate deformities. In addition, we have from the Columbus area in Ohio, oral and maxillofacial surgeon, uh, Dr. Byron Henry. Byron and his wife, Stacy have founded the Free to Smile Foundation in 2008, which provides cleft lip and cleft palate experience, uh, cleft lip and cleft palate surgical uh, services to a number of kids and, and adults across, uh, really across the world, including Niger and Africa, uh, Zimbabwe, Philippines, uh, Sierra Leone, and others. Free to Smile Foundation has supported over 50 surgical outreach programs over two decades. And last, but certainly not least, uh, Melissa Edmondson, who uh, currently is in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida in practice, has a distinguishing feature, feature, I guess, a distinguished uh, role of being uh, the only American oral and maxillofacial surgeon on the Doctors uh, Without Borders uh, MSF Foundation, uh, which he's worked in uh, Nigeria as well as uh, working with Operation New Life in uh, Tegugalpa in Honduras. So, lengthy introduction, but I could not pass the uh, opportunity to give you some background. Uh, So when you listen to uh, these folks, you know that they speak from world of experience. So let's get started. We'll start with uh, Barbara and John. We'll mention the pandemic a few times, I'm sure, but and I, I maybe shouldn't start with it, but let's go with it. I'm assuming that you haven't traveled to do any work and uh, on any global surgery uh, outreach programs since the pandemic started. Maybe I'm wrong, so correct me. But what was the last the last outreach program that you participated in, Barbara? The last time I went anywhere was December 19, and it's all been suspended since then. We got shut down in February of 2020, and I don't think John has been anywhere in 2020. That's correct. My last trip was with uh, Smile Cambodia in September 19 and uh, had a couple of more trips planned last year, but they didn't occur. Yes, yes. I'm sure it, uh, we could all share that experience. Uh, Barbara and John, tell me, um, because you were have been working with the, those those uh, groups uh, and, and in these outreach programs and, and have been making an impact, What's happened to these patients that you would have ordinarily uh, taken care of? The focus of our efforts is not in treating patients, but in educating local doctors. And we've actually set up formal education training programs in three countries, Bangladesh, PNG, and more recently, Cambodia, and are contributing to a formal education program for the Vanuatu surgeons through University of Fiji. So... In essence, our efforts are now being tested in seeing if they can function without us. And so far, they're doing pretty well. We do support by email and Skype and FaceTime and WhatsApp and all the other um, media interfaces that are now available, thank goodness. Um, but And some things are being put on hold, but the majority of patients are being treated by the, the guys that we've already trained. Great. John, any uh, any additional comments? No, I just endorse Barbara's comments. I mean, it's been quite gratifying that the three countries where we've had training programs, um, and I perhaps could briefly hark back to the meeting in 1999 in Washington, the study day prior to the IOMS meeting, we had a, a consensus day on aid to the third world. One of the main uh, recommendations that come out of that was to establish programs in, in the countries we visit. 
have some expertise left behind. And that's not just uh, long-term, like the situation we face now where we can't visit, but even in short-term, because invariably complications still occur, um, sometimes weeks down the track with bony surgery and healing. And it's, uh, it's, it's a relief, really, to know that we've got people in those countries who uh, perhaps their training doesn't quite measure up to first world, but are capable of addressing most complications and also conversing with us by the uh, various technical, technical aids we have, like the Zoom meeting we're having now. Yes, I endorse Barbara's comments completely. We've even managed to a case of necrotizing fasciitis by email and the patient survived, which is no mean feat if you have any understanding of the facilities um, which are available to our trainees. Great. Barbara and John, thank you very much. It must be just incredibly gratifying to, to have this experience, perhaps a little silver lining in the pandemic uh, shutdown to know that, uh, that you're making an impact. And, and in reality, education, training, research, or the sustainable parts of the, the humanitarian uh, outreach programs that, uh, that, that as in the higher resource countries, uh, we should be uh, putting into place increasing capacity. So thank you. Thank you for those comments. Just one more, unfortunately, the corollary to that, of course, is that those countries are even more affected by the pandemic than we are. Yes. Their testing rates are poor, their documentation is poor, the rates of spread are unknown, and uh, the hospitals that are flooded at the best of times are even more under strain at the moment. So when those colleagues say to us, what can we do about the pandemic, there's no easy answer. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it, is, it is sad that they're affected more so than we are. Thank you. Thank you. Shahid Aziz, I'd like to ask you the same question. Um, Smile Bangladesh has been uh, in place for for a number of years. What's going on uh, now? You you haven't traveled since uh, beginning of 2020. Well, first of all, thanks for having me uh, on this um, podcast. It's really a great opportunity to talk and share our thoughts with everyone. Um, so our last mission, we typically travel to Bangladesh because of the weather every March and every November. So our last mission was November 2019. Great. So. What, what's happening there? Are local counterparts uh, taking care of the uh, education and patients that have been uh, working on all, all over these years? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, our uh, sort of charge in Bangladesh has evolved in the last um, 16 years, where initially it was focused on facial cleft surgery. And then about five years ago, we started evolving into not just cleft surgery, but also orthognathic surgery. And we're actually uh, doing a lot of teaching in orthognathic surgery over there. So it's sort of interesting where um, with technology, we're able to, as Barbara was saying, we're able to sort of talk to our um, colleagues in Bangladesh um, about patients. Um, I've done some orthognathic consults via uh, FaceTime, via Skype, via WhatsApp. And I've also... Uh, been able to see some of our cleft surgeries, uh, post-ops, uh, the ones who've had some m- minor complications or whatever, uh, they've reached out to me and we sort of talk about, okay, this is what's happening next. Uh, you know, we all were really hoping to go to Bangladesh this, this month, in March 2021, because our core team all were vaccinated, but unfortunately there's no uh, the government has no, in Bangladesh, has no sort of 
uh, vaccinated uh, policies, and we'd have to quarantine for two weeks, um, you know, in DACA, um, in a government facility um, prior to being allowed to do anything. So we obviously weren't able to do that. Uh, just too much time away. But um, hopefully in November, we'll be able to change that. But, you know, technology is such that um, it's really uh, obviously from what we're doing on Zoom uh, to WhatsApp or what have you, uh, it's really allowed us to continue our mission remotely um, and continue educating and continue patient care. Um, and, and so, um, you know, I, I think the one thing that'll come out of all of this is for all of us, whether it's here, whether it's in Bangladesh or other parts of the world, we're all, we all have increased our ability to work remotely. And I think that's going to be a game changer for, uh, uh, global surgery. Great. Thank, thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, Shahid. Byron Henry, Dr. Henry, you also, uh, with your foundation, uh, have a cadre of uh, folks that uh, that really expect uh, you to uh, be working with them, uh, supporting the local hosts. What's What's been going on in the last uh, year, year and a half uh, with your foundation and your experiences? Sure. Well, I want to echo Dr. Aziz's comments and thanking you for having me as part of this. It's truly an honor to be to be here and to be amongst such uh, compassionate and empathetic people. So uh, it's great to meet you all as well. The last the last mission we were on was actually in February when all of this was kind of in the beginning stages of blowing up to Guatemala. Since then, um, you know, our projects are it's a bit dichotomous where we go, because in our Ethiopia project, for instance, um, there is a local surgeon that we've been working on for uh, several years who now does fairly, fairly good cleft surgery. Um, And so he's been able to continue um, the use of his skills that he's been taught by our organization and other great organizations to continue the work. And like the others have spoken about, the technology is very, very helpful in that occasionally he'll, he'll email a case or ask for advice via WhatsApp or via email, which is, you know, it's been very, very fantastic to allow him to be able to have that access to myself and others in our organization to, um, to help him along in the surgery that he may do. Guatemala is a different story, as many of you can attest to probably the difficulty in finding a local surgeon and keeping them interested um, to do free work for the impoverished is a very difficult task. And we've encountered that in Guatemala, particularly where we can't, uh, you know, we've we've had several surgeons local that have been in, but very often they they come for a trip or two and then they're they're finished. So our op- obviously our ultimate goal is to teach the, the local, but in that particular site, we've been blessed to have um, a young lady that has been working with us for 10 years. So she's very, very versed in, in taking care of these babies. But there are now 400 of them that have been born through this year. And so she has sent us a picture of just about all of them. And we actually go on our next mission um, here in uh, 13 days. So we're leaving uh, a, in a couple of weeks, essentially, to go down there and begin the process. With that, we... Um, you know, they have a, a protocol in place where all the families are vaccinated or are, are um, tested before the surgery. All the families that are with them are tested before the surgery. So, you know, in some of our programs, the work has continued. Some of the others, you know, the, the children have continued to be born without being treated. Um, and as you know, it's tough to treat uh, without access there. It's tough to, to treat them. So we're going to hopefully make a dent in that uh, in that as as the year goes along. Right. Th- thank you very much. Uh, Melissa, um, I think continuing on sort of the same the same question, but 
Um, tell us a little bit about uh, your work with M- MSF as an oral and maxillofacial surgeon and what's been going on perhaps this year with the pandemic. Sure. So MSF is typically an an organization associated with um, kind of mass casualty incidents, a more public health kind of structured organization. The project in Sokoto, Nigeria is a real departure for them. Um, It's a Noma Children's Hospital was taken over from the now defunct uh, Noma project at the Dutch Noma Foundation. Uh, MSF took the hospital over um, in 2015 to structure, to restructure patient treatment uh, in Sokoto, Nigeria, in a pre-existing project that was failing. And so as an oral and maxillofacial surgeon with this uh, project through MSF, our goal is the treatment and reconstruction of NOMA patients in northern Nigeria, southern Niger, uh, is primarily the catchment area. Um, MSF, again, it's an unusual project for them because it's not acute medicine. Um, it's a long-term project that requires a lot of these patients require several different procedures serially. So it's also a teaching project as well, um, trying to ultimately hand the hospital back over to the Nigerian MOH once they are able to stand alone. So my role is um, primarily trismus release. You'll see a lot of really, really bad ankylosis uh, cases secondary to early debridements from NOMA as children. And then the post-operative PT is really not managed. So they develop these really large ankylotic masses. So I do trismus release primarily and some uh, local regional flap reconstruction for like uh, paramedian nasal flaps and those kind of things. We also were teamed up with a facial plastic surgeon. So it's a collaborative project between the two of us to um, U.S. surgeons, and then also we're training two local uh, Nigerian surgeons. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, Noma, I didn't know much about Noma, um, but uh, learned uh, learned some about it. Uh, that is, uh, it's a it's a horrible, horrible outcome, uh, but it apparently is pretty preventable um, if you catch it early. So that is the real uh, mainstay of the project. Uh, Ultimately, you know, with the involvement of MSF, we've started doing research. Um, That's one of the biggest defaults in NOMA is not only is it preventable, we know that it's preventable, uh, but how to prevent it beyond feeding your population. You know, we know that nutrition is a major component. What else can we do to prevent this from occurring? I mean, it, it has this mainstay in sub-Saharan Africa, kind of known as the face of poverty. And it's been eradicated even in some of the other areas of the world that have similar um, kind of socioeconomic circumstances. So with MSF, we've also started doing um, more structured research on not only the etiology of NOMA, but prevention, how that even community outreach, so to speak, uh, because there's a lot of stigmatism with NOMA patients um, involving, you know, religion and certain just degrees of how people, because it's such a scary looking disorder, these children are often 
you know, shunned from society and how we can actually educate the population into early treatment. And even just with early treatment, we've seen a major decline in mortality rates, but even with mortality rates declining, the morbidity is obviously quite high. And so there's a balance there, but we know it's preventable. And that's another one of the long-term aspects of the project is just eradicating NOMA. Great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I'd like to, to go around the group again and uh, to ask you a personal question. Um, and that is, you know, what is the most gratifying uh, part of the experience that you've had in the global surgery sphere? Uh, let's, let's start uh, with you, uh, uh, Dr. Henry. Yeah, well, that's, uh, boy, that's a, that's an easy question to answer, quite honestly. I mean, when you've done it for a long time, it's, you know, I, I started doing this with, with, um, with several folks that are friends of yours, Dr. Rosa, I'm sure, Dr. McIntosh and Dr. Herman and Dr. Um, and Dr. Burtz. Um, and so, you know, the most human experience I've almost ever encountered is one where you finish repairing a cleft lip and then the family comes in and sees the individual for the first time. Um, and you see their face and you see the way that they break down when they see this brand new baby, perfect before and is even perfect now. But that experience, I think from the first time I'd ever seen it kind of, kind of, kind of just hooked me in. It's an unreal experience to be able to go over there when you live such a, such a uh, privileged life that we've had the opportunity to live as oral maxillofacial surgeons in the developed world. And we're able to go over there and give this skill that we've, we've had the opportunity to, to, um, to gain. And then we're able to go over there and use that to, to help a family that in most cases would never have this surgery um, in, in a lot of these underdeveloped countries. And so it's incredibly gratifying to, to, to not only the family, but to yourself internally to, to know that you're, you're using these gifts that you've been given. Um, and it's continued to, to, um, to encourage me for, for 20 years of doing it. So, but that, that human moment is nothing's, nothing's ever better. I can yes. I, it, your description was was uh, was spot on, um, <clears throat> doctors Woodhouse and Arvier. Can you share with us what what's the most gratifying part of your experiences with uh, in the global surgery sphere? Obviously, the appreciate appreciation of the patients is is very gratifying. But perhaps more than that, for me. Fulfillment comes in seeing the trainees acquire skills, understanding diagnosis, um, managing patients in what we would see as a more gentle way. Um, and some of our guys have achieved so much. Um, you've got to remember they're, they're just dentists. They're not medically trained like, like we are. And um, one of them actually pipped four or five plastic trainees at the post to gain a Nordoff Foundation scholarship and spent a year in Taiwan learning cleft management and came back and brought that back on an everyday basis to Phnom Penh. And that's, for me, that kind of stuff really tops it. Oh, wonderful. Thanks. John? Yes, just to echo those comments, I think the professional satisfaction is probably the, uh, the words I use in going to these countries and seeing the development of young trainees and uh, just furthering the, the breadth of the profession that, as you said, we've, uh, we've earned a good living on in, the, in first world countries. Um, you see millions of people living in poverty in some of these countries and 
but that's how lucky we are to have been born into a developed country and had the education opportunities we've had. We had no say in it. It was just a pure chance. And uh, you feel an obligation. The more you go back and and, uh, and I've got some great professional friendships with colleagues in other countries, um, just getting Christmas cards from them and, and, and going to their houses. It's uh, experiences that no amount of money could buy. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That certainly, that certainly is, is tremendously gratifying. Um, <clears throat> Melissa, Dr. Amundsen, uh, the most gratifying part of the experience is either with MSF or, uh, or the, uh, the, the other organization uh, that you're working with, Operation New Life. I'm seeing, seeing real change. Um, I think Operation New Life is an excellent example. My last uh, visit there was uh, at the very beginning of the pandemic and was actually our last visit. So we have taken that project from dependency to self-sustaining uh, management on their own. And the same with the NOMA project in Sokoto, although to a much lesser and slower degree, when I first started in that project in 2015, we were doing these large resections without even a CT scan. I mean, we, I was just freehanding it. And we've gone from no imaging to now ordering the correct imaging and, and just seeing this slow but sure change in advancement is gives me hope that, you know, every year that we go back or every other, you know, quarter, there's a little bit of improvement. And that was really realized in the Operation New Life project where unfortunately we're done, but that was the ultimate goal was for them to be able to stand alone. And now they're doing it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And uh, Dr. Aziz, gratification from your hard work and efforts and with uh, Operation Bangladesh, Operation Smile, uh, Operation Bangladesh. Um, Smile Bangladesh. So me, Smile Bangladesh. <laughs> so, so for me, it's it's uh, uh, similar to what everyone has said. Um, on top of that, you know, that's where I'm originally from. So there is uh, a little bit of a uh, special meaning to me because uh, I have a lot of family in Bangladesh that I never had the opportunity to really meet. Uh, believe it or not, I have 60 first cousins, which I never met any of them until I started going there. Uh, and every time I go, I meet somebody new. Um, so on a personal standpoint, I mean, that's amazing um, to reconnect with my father's family. Um, professionally, uh, I mean, I agree with what everyone said. I think one of the things also that is really uh, amazing for me is um watching some of the surgeons, local surgeons that we work with over the years progress uh, in their skills and, and, and becoming sort of, uh, you know, as an educator for the last 20 years, watching them grow as surgeons and being able to think on their own. So that's very gratifying. So that's, you know, why that's why we're doing global surgery really is, is not to do, you know, medical tourism. It's to, uh, um, you know, um, train the, those who, otherwise wouldn't have the training so they can meet the local need. The other thing that's really important is, you know, we've been taking American residents, American OMS residents um, from the beginning. And the reason I do that is not to make them, you know, the second coming of Tessier. It's really 
uh, to inspire them to give back in their careers. And unfortunately, there have been a few of them who have gone on to do uh, humanitarian work, whether it's locally or internationally. Uh, and, and so that's, um, I think, really important is because, you know, we have to inspire the next generation of, um, of surgeons. Great. Thank you. Um, for our last last round of, uh, of answers, uh, we could probably have a, a, a one hour discussion on uh, but I, I'd like to I'd like to get your comments. Uh, the things that you've mentioned, uh, education, capacity building, uh, worldwide uh, cooperation, friends, all of these things, uh, IAOMS and the IAOMS Foundation is is a uh, international group of of like minded people, oral and maxillofacial surgeons. I mean, it, it's it's a very unique organization. Uh, how do we what how do we engage the foundation and and, and our membership and and the specialty in continuing to support or beginning to support uh, these humanitarian efforts? What what suggestions or, or advice? And I'll I'll start with Melissa uh, Amundsen. Well, for me, I'm not cleft trained. And so most of my projects involve either trauma orthognathic surgery or something that requires hardware. And that's the biggest efficiency that I've seen uh, in my projects is access to hardware. Uh, it leads to a real limitation in care just from something as simple as that. Uh, so, you know, that's my pie in the sky kind of hope is that uh, through the foundation some way, there are uh, resources to uh, supply hospitals with something as simple as, as hardware. Um, in addition to that, the foundation's uh, funding of resident participantship has been huge. Personally, when I was a resident, I couldn't afford to go on any sort of trips like this. And the fact that the foundation has offered scholarships to allow residents to travel and, and offset the cost of these trips is uh, enormous. It's an enormous gift. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Dr. Aziz, Shahed, your, uh, your suggestions, thoughts for, for the IAOMS and the IAOMS <laughs> Foundation. Well, I think, you know, IAOMS has a great opportunity to connect the world of oral surgeons, literally. And I think what, you know, at at the um, uh, Rio meeting, at the, you know, at our COGS meeting, we talked about, you know, trying to um, create a database of opportunities globally. Um, and that was, if I remember right, twofold. One is for you know, um, surgeons in developed countries who are looking to educate uh, surgeons in developing countries uh, and vice versa, surgeons in developing countries who want to, uh, um, who want to uh, have opportunity to be educated um, and be mentored. And so I think, um, you know, the obvious thing for all of us is financial, but beyond that, I think, if we can set up a some sort of a system where we can develop for the more senior people um, a mentorship program for those surgeons 
uh, in the developing countries where, you know, they may not have as great have access to um, certain things that, for example, we do in the States. Um, you know, I mean, as we know, you know, maxillofacial surgery worldwide is very different. You know, here it's not, it's, it's only a small percentage of us do microvascular and malignancy as opposed to the rest of the world. But, you know, as I've come to find out in Bangladesh, for example, you know, orthognathics is something that they're 30 years behind. Um, as Melissa mentioned, hardware is a big issue. Um, and so I think mentorship and opportunity um, and IIOMS is at in a position where they can provide that. We just need to sort of um, come together in the, in, the, in, in the pandemic sort of derailed. I think what, you know, Dr. Rose and I had talked about for the Glasgow meeting in, in September, but, um, you know, hopefully when we have another meeting again, um, we can start moving forward to that end. Great. Thank you. Thank you for, for, for your insight. Uh, Dr. Zarvier and Woodhouse, your, your recommendations, your thoughts, how can I OMS Foundation help? Thank you. Firstly, I'd like to echo Shahid's comments about taking residents with us. Uh, it's inspiring to them, but more importantly, it is an incredible educational opportunity. They see the natural history of disease as they will never see it before or after in their own country, where, of course, it's treated in its infancy. And that's such an important thing, and I think the fellowship opportunities offered for the residents to do that are great because we have a situation in Australia where we have no federal government funding if we take trainees because they're super sensitive about being seen to experiment on the locals overseas. So we cannot take trainees if we accept federal government funding, so we eschew that funding and support ourselves to enable to take trainees. Um, what else can, can we do? Um, I'd like to echo Melissa's comments about hardware. That is a huge problem. I have a standing order at all the local surgical supply companies for anything that's being superseded. Send it my way. Maybe we could start up a used instrument collective in, in IOMS. That would help, although obviously there's logistics about getting it from the top of the world where you guys are to the bottom where we are. But, you know, yeah, you could have local collectives. That might be a thing. Perhaps the biggest roadblock that I see, and also I'll give Strong some airtime in just a moment, is the actual cost to our trainees themselves. We're talking about a country in Cambodia where a large number of the population is earning less than one US dollar per day. And these guys have to pay $1,500 per year for four years to their university. And I, I would be very quick to say we see no part of that. That's purely the administration fees imposed by the university. Everything we do is completely self-funded. But they have to pay this, and that's a struggle for them. And that has other implications apart from, from meeting that cost, but also that they have to work outside the specialty to support themselves and their families and find the extra money for that cost. So any funding that the IOMS Foundation could direct towards trainees in underdeveloped countries would go a long way to, to breaking down those barriers. John? Yeah, all good points. Um, I just want to again hark back to that 1999 meeting in Washington when some fairly good guidelines came out of it, and we've, we've tried to adhere to those over the last 20 years. I think that the one of the best things that IOMS can do, and 
both of the body as well as the foundation, is have these regular meetings and perhaps keep publicising the efforts of everybody around the world to connect the world together, as, as Shahid said. Um, the world is made up of a lot of developing countries as well as developed ones, and if we can connect them all together. And we have found that the imprimatur of IOMS gives us certain credibility within ANZOMS, which is the Australian New Zealand Association, which has then given me credibility. I've been very lucky in that I've had access to quite a bit of hardware from the, uh, the firm Striker that, I, that I've used over the years. I've pretty well eased out of maxillofacial surgery now as I get older, but they've been very generous in letting me take a set of instruments and, and, and risk-socking my hardware every time I go. It doesn't address the long-term problem in those countries, but it has enabled me, I guess, to sort of show local colleagues there the way I do it, and then they can then use the pressure to often buy, put pressure on their governments and their hospitals for a bit more funding, also to source relatively inexpensive hardware locally. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. And Dr. Henry, not last, not least, your thoughts. How can uh, IAOMS Foundation, IAOMS, help to uh, further the uh, access to, to care in the world? Sure. Well, uh, being last in this, the the um, other three before me, or other four in this case, have done a fabulous job. They've obviously hit the main points. All of us, any of us that go on these trips, run organizations, obviously the thing that we always struggle with is financial, right? You cannot make, you can't go do the good work unless it's funded. Um, and so there are, there are so many great groups out there and individuals out there doing this work. And so one of the things that, as they've mentioned before, is the support of, of a couple of different um, facets, one being the residents and fellows. I like, uh, like one of the other guests have, has, have uh, mentioned, the support of residents and fellows. That has happened on a few of my trips, and that is ingenuous because it truly does allow for the educational aspect to occur. It's, it, oftentimes, it'll, it'll ignite a humanitarian spirit into that individual, which will propel them to do more and more. Uh, not everybody, but quite a few. Um, so any sort of financial support is, is obvious, as Dr. Aziz has said as well. Um, the other thing that I think is important is IOMS is a very, you know, it's a very powerful organization. It's a great organization, and it can bring awareness just to the, just the fact of bringing awareness um, through its website, through other, other avenues of, of social media, which is so strong now, just bringing awareness of the problem that we have amongst some of the residents, some of the fellows, some of the new practicing surgeons. That, that, that's all good stuff. Obviously, the database, I agree 100% that the collection of all these good groups doing so much good work, if we all knew a little more about each other and we were all able to help each other in some way, I guess we would have no idea what that may, you know, what may come to fruition through that. Um, I think that is very, very important. And then finally, one thing that wasn't mentioned that I think is important for IOMS is I believe that we need to create a global standard of care. I think one thing that is very important for us to do is to create a global standard of care of what we do overseas. I am coming only from a, I only do the cleft surgery overseas. So I don't do NOMA and orthodontic surgery overseas currently. Um, but so I'm coming from a cleft perspective, but to have that standard of care of what these groups, these many great groups are going over there would be wonderful for our organization, uh, such as other specialties that mm -hmm. on this to come up with this and, and together and collaboratively um, form this. Great. Well, our time is uh, our time is just about up. Uh, thank you very much for sharing uh, your personal experiences and your insight. What a, a world of uh, of great things just to, just in 
in this uh, in this small group. So the point of bringing other uh, folks in IOMS together to get to uh, the, the collective, the aggregate power of that is is is, is astonishing to think about. But if, if we don't know about each other, then then that can't be done. Support for education and support for the educational endeavors, capacity building, both uh, both capacity for surgical outreach in the high resourced areas and capacity for uh, for the the low resourced areas. The foundation is is well on its way to uh, to supporting a number of uh, a number of the things that we've uh, we've talked about. Uh, we just need to get some uh, some of the uh, membership and uh, others to uh, to help uh, with that effort. Getting out on the website, getting out on social media, I think is a good way to uh, start acquainting people with it. And I think that that should that should be uh, an easy thing uh, without too much uh, investment. So I want to thank all of you and uh, wish all of you a great uh, evening or morning or day. We'll look forward to uh, getting together uh, as soon as uh, as soon as it's safe. Thank you once again for listening to our celebratory podcast series, the IOMS Foundation, 25 Years and Beyond. We are grateful to all of those who volunteered their time to participate in this series and for their continued support of the IOMS Foundation. I would also like to extend my appreciation to our corporate and foundation partners, KLS Martin Group, the Osteoscience Foundation, and the OMS Foundation for their ongoing support. To learn more about the IMS Foundation's programs and opportunities, or to make a gift to the foundation, visit www.iomsfoundation.org. We look forward to connecting with you soon.